us is a yawning chasm filled with emptiness and the puerile meanderings of sentience. What's going on, everybody? This is Drew here. I want to welcome you all to a brand new episode of Phoenix Down. This is Phoenix Down, episode number 52.2. No point. Yeah. Two. <laughs> our we just went over the. Yeah, I know. Our numbering system's fucked. Because it's. Uh, I don't know. But. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, we're uh, we're knee deep in uh, November. And um, we're finishing up our Halloween series. <laughs> Uh, finishing up Eternal Darkness, uh, took a two, couple weeks off, you know, things happened, uh, but, uh, we're here, we're finishing this up, um, tonight I have with me Matt Quinn. Hello. And returning guest, Dave Payerly. Hi. So yeah, Eternal Darkness, um, go ahead and get it out of the gate right now. Uh, as we are recording this, I currently have not completed the game. Um, I will. In fact, I will prove it by, I'm going to take a screenshot of the final playtime, everything like that, and uh, I will post it on my Twitter just to prove to everybody so I don't get this stupid Xenogears thing again. Are you going to post that tonight before anybody listens to this? Uh, no, I'll probably wait. Uh, in fact, it may not be tonight when I finish it. It may be, it may not be. Um, I do have time tomorrow, so... I may just do it then. Uh, but I am on the last chapter. In fact, I'm probably maybe 10 minutes into the last chapter. And I was like, yeah, I've still got like 40 minutes and we got to record right now. So, unfortunately, I did not finish uh, the game for the recording itself. But I am going to finish the game. So, yeah. Um, I don't really know how to handle this because there's a lot to cover how does people want to talk about this? I, I always usually take the reins here, but how do you guys want to talk about this game? I don't know that the last six chapters did a whole lot different than the foundation of the game. True. Um, I, I think we could probably talk about highlights without having to talk through each one of them. Yeah, I, I will say this, that um, we go through each chapter, obviously, is about a different person throughout the timeline of this happening. Um, and we take over, the last person we did was a doctor, uh, like an archaeologist in the 1980s. But then we immediately go back to way in like 1480-something. Uh, so it's it's never we're continuously progressing through time. It's constantly going back and forth in time. And I finally got I fi I think I finally figured it out to where 
like we kept asking ourselves, is this happening? Are we, are, is people changing time? Is that what's happening? And we're seeing it happen in real time, or is this just her reading what happened in the past? This is all, I, I have the feeling that this is all happening in the past and we're finally catching up to where Alex is reading about this stuff. So I, I guess that makes sense, except that it doesn't always seem clear who actually wrote anything down then. Yeah. This mystical book just records time without somebody actually writing in it. Well, the thing is, is a lot of times whenever you first start a chapter, it's Alex's grandfather who is narrating it. But then sometimes it's the person you're playing as who is narrating it. So it's hard to tell. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I I don't know, but I feel like this game is on such a large scale that there's bigger questions. <laughs> you know, so it kind of it, it bothers me a little bit if this is supposed to be somebody chronicling what happened, but they die, for example, and then the chapter keeps going, then who's writing in the book? Yeah. But you know, I, I mean I guess in a in a game about ancient gods, that's you know, that's not, not the biggest question. Yeah. So um I guess the, the next person we take over is Paul Luther, and this is back in nineteen uh, fourteen eighty five. Uh, he's a monk, and it, I mean everything. Every chapter ends basically with with them not exactly knowing what's going on, but then revealing, "Oh, it's Pius Augustus," the entire time yeah. for the eighth time. Yeah, for the eighth <laughs> time. Ah, it's me again. You know, I'm just like, what the? F-? You know, I, I was like, were we ever leading to something? Which we do eventually lead to something. Um, so basically, in order to stop this from happening the 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 god so here's the thing i found out is that whatever god we choose is the one that we're fighting against at the beginning of the game when you play as pious you choose you know red blue or green and whichever one you choose that's the god you're going against so every time i read in a fact use the dominant alignment and I was like, what the fuck am I talking about? The dominant alignment is always going to be the opposite color of what you chose. So since I chose blue, my dominant color should be green for the most part. Yep. And mine was green, so I had to choose red for everything. Yeah. And mine was red, so I had to choose blue for everything. Exactly. Coverage. So, yeah. So, and, and, but the, it's interesting because it makes me think that we can possibly replay this game. And we're going against a different god this time around. But I doubt it has anything to do with the story. Uh, I actually specifically read somewhere, if you play through it on all three colors, you unlock the true ending or, you know, the secret ending or whatever. Really? Yeah, which I'm not going to do. But it's it's a thing you could do. Right. I guess you'd have to do it sequentially, right? Because I've been looking at my old game save on there, thinking I'm just going to finish that one up as well. Where I, where I chose blue. But, you know, since I started that before I finished the green playthrough, I don't think that would count as finishing two. Yeah, I think you what you do is you kind of, it's kind of like a new game plus where you use the same save and start over. Yeah. But, so yeah, I, I we can go through them, I guess. Like, Paul Luther 
is being tricked by Pius again. Um, he's a monk who gets locked up and is charged with treason or, or heresy. And um, the uh, Spanish Inquisition is actually all working for Pius and the the god that's trying to escape. Um, I mean, that's kind of it <laughs> as far as that one goes. Um, after that, uh, we get, uh, we take over as this guy named Roberto, uh, a few years earlier, who is taken prisoner and is forced to create this gigantic, like, altar along with, like, this underground temple, uh, for Pius, uh, and, uh, we play as him trying to survey the rest of the foundations um, while um, he, he attempts to escape. Um, I had a problem with this chapter because I kept trying to exit, but I had missed like one one part, the part where you have to walk the zombie into the crusher part. Yeah. I, I had missed that, and I just kept running around that level for about an hour. Like, I've been through every single freaking door you can go in. Yeah. And I couldn't find that last room that you need to survey. It was killing me. The the thing about this part right here, I actually quit the game at this point because there was a part where the, the things with wings that spread their wings and they can summon shit. Oh, yeah. Since Roberto is a shitty fucking fighter, on top of the combat being kind of ass in this game. Uh, I got trapped in a corner with that fucking winged thing. And I couldn't hit him with my sword. Because I was next to walls. So he would summon a trapper. The trapper would see me. It would take me to the other dimension. I would then leave the other dimension and appear right back in the same corner. And it was, just, it, I swear to God, I did that loop five or six times. Oh, man. And I was like, well, I think this is enough Eternal Darkness for one day. And turn the fucking game off. I came back uh, after looking at a fact, and I learned about a very handy-dandy spell. It's called Invisibility. And you can only do it by using the Mantarok um, alignment, the purple one. Uh, and, uh, you can make yourself invisible and guess what? This game is a fucking breeze then because, yeah, would have been nice. I think those gatekeepers, uh, the gatekeepers, the, the ones that look like kind of like scorpions. Are those, are those the ones that are like two bodies like jammed together? Uh, Wait, which ones are we talking about here? Are the the ones that go ahead. They're clearly not trappers, and they're not horrors. You talking about the ones that can summon stuff? Yeah. Well, see, there's two different things that can summon stuff. The ones that have wings that usually keeps their wings closed until you get close to them, and then they open them up. And then there's another one that looks like, it literally looks like a scorpion that's being held up by its head. It's like floating. It can summon stuff, too. But on top of summoning stuff, it can also put a force field up around it so you can't hit it. And then when you hit it, it disappears, turns into like a blinking light and floats around. Yeah, not those guys. Okay. So you're thinking of I the winged guys. 
I thought the winged ones, for some reason, took a lot more shots to take down. They do. You have to hit them in the back. Uh, I just kept aiming for the head and waiting for them to open their wings. Well, I mean, you can do that, but the thing is, if you hit them from the back, you don't have to wait for them to open their wings. You just, like, wail on them. Uh, probably would have been easier. Yeah. Faster, at least. But with invisibility, since no enemy can see me except for trappers, which are easy to take down, I just walk right past guys. So, like, if you're invisible and you shoot a trapper, does the shot alert other enemies to your presence, or do they just continue being oblivious? They continue being oblivious. Fuck, man. Yeah. Wow. It's fantastic. That's a much different game. Yes. It's it's basically a walking simulator. <laughs> I, I did, for the second half of the game, I really got in the habit uh, partly because I was I was using a walkthrough because I needed to, to plow through it, of just running around shit whenever possible. Like, if it seemed like I was never coming back into the room, I just ran a loop and got out of there and tried to fight as little as possible. That's what I ended up doing a lot of times, too. I would always put up a shield. You know, once you got that, what, seven-point um, spread, you could get a seven-hit shield, which really helped me out. Yeah. Um, so uh, I can't remember what happens to Roberto. He doesn't escape. He gets. Uh, doesn't he get put in basically a big cement pillar of yeah. bodies? Yeah, that's and it. Get kicked into a pit, which actually is, looks pretty cool. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh uh, yeah, uh, that happened to him. Uh, then we go back. We go further into the future. Uh, to 1916 during World War One, uh, where um, we play as a guy named Peter Jacob, who is a, a reporter, like a news reporter or war reporter, who's covering World War One, uh, and he's in the cathedral that Paul Luther was originally in when he got charged with heresy, uh, and um, we play as Peter, who we eventually. Something eventually finally happens. So instead of us getting tricked by Pius again, and then you know, something bad happens to them, Peter actually gets shit done. So basically, I'm mean, like, obviously, I'm skipping the level, but Peter, what Peter does, he finally takes out the guardian that's guarding one of um, the the three or the four. Is it three or four? Is the four things that we need? to stop the god from coming over and basically restoring Mantarok so he can guard the the place again. Um, I can't. It, I guess it all depends on which god you chose at the beginning, depending on what you get. But there's this big guardian thing um, that's uh, at the bottom of the cathedral, and uh, Peter is able to defeat it. Now, this boss fight, I do want to mention this boss fight. Because I would never have been able to figure this out had I not used the fact. Nope. So, my boss was obviously glowing blue because I chose blue. Which means I needed to use green against it. Now, we get this new spell, which is like a, a damage field. It's basically a spell that when it slams down on the ground, it shoots like this energy field around us that damages everything in its path. 
The issue here is is that this boss will summon zombies. And you have to, and you can't necessarily aim the spell. You just kind of like let it come emit from you. And if the zombies are too close to you, it targets the zombies instead and not the boss itself. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing wrong? So I looked at a fact and it says you have to be away from the zombies. But if you get too close to the boss, he's going to slam down on you with his gigantic fucking feet. So it's this weird fucking balance of I have to kite the zombies this way and then run all the way around and then hope I cast this spell while he flashes blue. You know, it has to be while he's flashing and it's like a, it may be a 10 second thing. And these fucking spells take a long time to come up. And will get broken if anything happens. If you get hit, if you, if get, you get bumped. Move, yeah. Anything. So, I actually found a decent method of doing this. When he would summon the three zombies, I would go to one of the corners next to the boss yeah, and put up a damage field, which would prevent the zombies from getting close to me. And um, then uh, do the, the main damage spell. And even at that, half the time, I wound up damaging the zombies because they will eventually just walk through the damage field even as they're taking damage yeah it just slows them down enough that that whole boss fight is it's like all of the worst elements from the game it's the magic being extremely finicky and then the whole as soon as you get hurt you move really slow which makes it hard for you to get away from his slam attack which makes it hard to get far enough away that you can actually cast the heal spell without something catching like it there are just certain points in it where once your health hits like 30 percent, you just might as well say fuck it and start over you're dead yeah yeah it's odd that you've got the ability to recover any thing that you want but you can almost never use it in battle (laughs) yeah basically yeah this guy is no witcher so (laughs) but yeah So Peter actually defeats the Guardian and obtains one of the needed things and gives it to, um, God, what's his name? Edward, uh, Rovius, Rovius, um, Rovius, there you go. Um, who is Alex's grandfather? And this entire time, we've been getting these shortcut scenes of Alex sitting there reading the Tome of Eternal Darkness. And her spirit of her grandfather keeps talking to her. And he keeps getting more and more hostile toward her. And eventually, I think in the next chapter even, we're having another one of those cut scenes. And he's talking about, like, I wish you'd just die in the car crash with your parents and stuff like that. He reveals to be, Oh look, it's Pius Augustus. I swear. He's like a comical villain. He's like snidely fucking whiplash who just, who shows up and and is just there to ruin somebody's day. It's, and it it happens so frequently. It starts to feel like Scooby-Doo episodes. Like, you know, at the end, they're going to pull the mask off of the bad guy and it's going to be Pius Augustus yeah. scaring kids away from the old sawmill. 
Oh, uh, yep. Fucking pious. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, after, um, after Peter Jacob, we go further into the future to 1952, where we play as Alex's grandfather, Edward Rove. Ro- how do you say it again? Rivas? 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 Jesus Christ. I can't spell or read or anything. It's, is that is that name not Southern compatible? Roivas. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we take over as him. And I actually like this chapter. I did this chapter today. Oh, shit. I just realized that Roivas is Savior spelled backwards. All right, I quit. I'm done. Fuck. <laughs> Mind blown. We need to re-record everything for the beginning. Oh my god. That's like the whole parallels I never saw between um, Metal Gear Solid 2 and Titanic, where it's Jack and Rose. And I was like, man, fuck you, Kojima. (laughs) Wow, yeah. I've never heard of that, but now I need to look it up after we're done here. It's true, because you played as Raiden, who his real name was Jack. And his girlfriend is Rose. It's, oh man. All right, anyway. So we're playing as the savior. (laughs) And uh, I really like this chapter because it was, it was just so weird. Like, because you're walking around your mansion and everybody, apparently everybody's like fucking rich as shit. And they all have servants and shit like that. And this guy is constantly being chased by this invisible creature who is running around his mansion and trying to kill his servants. And you're trying to catch it. Uh, but it's invisible and it only pops up every once in a while. You can see it sometimes or you'll knock over something. You'll hear something. Um, but I like that about that because it was, it was like you were being stalked by something. Um, yeah, know. and and I, I love that you're in this mansion. And what I really like about the second half of the game is what we mentioned last time. The game sort of, you know, at, at first, the first four or five chapters just seem random. Everyone's in a different place, different time, different person. But the second half of the game, you start to revisit things. Yeah. And, you know, layer on, like, more information about the mansion, who lived there before, what's in the basement, you know, all this. Uh, all, every chapter, I think, in the second half sort of, is more enriching than the ones in the first half because they're adding to what came before it. Yeah. When it starts to tie together the mansion itself, because after a lot of those second half chapters, it's like, Oh, okay. So here's how I get to the basement now, because I just read about how that guy did it a hundred years ago. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's very video gamey how they do that, but um, cause perfect example, how you get the next, uh, chapter of, uh, eternal, the, the, you know, the next chapter of the tome of eternal darkness is you just randomly start seeing a survey area <laughs> in the fucking mansion in the room you've been in, in the room the you've time. been in the whole time. And I'm like, you haven't <laughs> seen that the entire time. Just now notice that there's everything falling out of the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> You just see, like, fucking sand falling out of the ceiling now? (laughs) 
But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's but I do like how they're they're kind of combining this all together. So there's basically two places, uh, the one in the Middle East, which is where it started, which where Manta Rock is being held basically, and then there's kind of like the evil base, which is up under the mansion, you know, down the down past the basement of the mansion in Rhode Island, um. And that's, you know, eventually we, what we're doing is we're taking things from the Middle East and bringing them to the mansion. And now we're back in the mansion with everything in place kind of thing. Um, so yeah, Peter, not Peter, uh, Edward, he, um, he's fighting off this evil vampire thing. Um, and then, this is like a long chapter. This is one of the one of the reasons why I didn't finish it. He descends deeper into his basement to find that gigantic city underneath Rhode Island. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. If only because when you've seen it before, it's just been a picture of a city, right? When you go out on that little balcony. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's nothing that is awe-inspiring, even though it seems like it's supposed to be. Yeah. But then in this chapter, when you're actually going between those little activation points, yeah, all of a sudden it seems more like a real thing, and I was kind of like, holy shit. It, it felt very almost Indiana Jones-ish to me, where there's this whole like elaborate thing underground. Yeah. I thought that was I thought that was pretty cool. That's um. That's like the best way to describe it. It feels like something out of Indiana Jones, except it has to do with like the old gods. But um, yeah, you like fucking Edward goes all over this fucking city. He, you know, he's running around. I mean, the, truth be told, if I didn't have invisibility here, I'd be like, fuck this. Yeah, I didn't even think to use invisibility on most of this. Yeah, I used invisibility because you're constantly running into those assholes that, like, when you hit them once, they float away. And Edward's not a really good fighter, so he can't run that far without running out of breath. You know, he doesn't have that much health. So, uh, luckily, I was using invisibility and had shields up most of the time. Uh, but he has to basically activate these nine points basically creating like it's his own really large scale spell that he's going to use on the city to basically, I guess, demolish it. And this is where I come into the next question of if I didn't have a fact, how was I supposed to figure out which ones to use when creating this gigantic spell throughout the city? It actually wasn't super hard because I wasn't paying att much attention to the fact. And most of them only give you, like, one option. There was oh, yeah. only one or two of the points we had to choose. And at, at the very end, uh, it would go through all, like, nine points. And it would sort of fizzle out on the one that wasn't right. So you would just go do that one again. But then you'd have to do the whole teleport and then go through the fucking gauntlet again with all those fucking monsters. Yeah, but I, I cleared them out the first time, so it was a lot faster on the on the retread. Yeah, I didn't clear out any of them because I just ran by them invisible. 
Yeah, I mean, it sucked, but at least at that point, I was like, all right, good, all nine are done. I just need to go change this one thing, and then I'm actually done. Right. So it, it sucked, but it was a long – it added to this being a really long chapter. Yeah. But I, I kind of really liked this because it was like, hey, something's actually happening rather than yeah. – this is another one of Pius's trickeries kind of thing. So uh, Edward actually is able to – stop this from happening he he destroys the city itself using this giant spell and um, escapes and lives out the rest of his life until the year 2000 where he gets killed by a horror that comes up out of his fucking basement and that's where basically the game starts we get the phone call that hey your grandfather's been torn to shreds so everything I'm going to stand here and drink coffee until you get here. Yeah. <laughs> Hop on a flight. I'll be right here. Yeah. <laughs> God, I forgot about that. Uh, so yeah, um, <laughs> the next chapter, uh, which I should mention, um, after this chapter, we now explore the basement itself. And in doing so, um, awaken a lot of the monsters, and now the mansion is filled with monsters as we're walking around as Alex. Um, didn't really have a problem with it. Because Luckily, I, she's beast. Yeah. she She's able to handle herself really well. What did they say she did for a living? Did it did say? Did they? Yeah, did it say? Uh, oh. But if they did, I don't remember. Uh, Yeah. Um, let me look here. Uh, a student at a university in Washington. Well, and she's fast. Like, it, it really seems like the big differentiator in combat is how fast the person is. Um, and this comes up in the final boss battle, but the heavier, slower people suck. I mean, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, it's usually, I mean, it's usually, it goes by like what, what their lifestyle was. I mean, they, you know, if you got a big burly man, he's not going to be very good at combat. Um, Does that sound kind of counterintuitive? I mean, well, okay. If, I mean, you got a, if you got a big fat guy who's out of shape, <laughs> yeah, well, he's not going to be very good at combat. Um, but I mean, I don't know. It's weird because you know Edward wasn't. It didn't seem like he was out of shape. He's just you know a, a skinny little guy, but he didn't have much health. But I think it also goes to pace depending on like how intelligent the person was. That way they have more magic ability, you know. And then some of them have better sanity than others. And it seems like Alex is just you know the jack of all trades. But so in the next chapter, the last chapter before the final one, we play as uh, Michael Edwards, um, who is a Canadian firefighter uh, who was um, sent to uh, Kuwait to stop um, the oil fires that have been taking place during the Gulf War. Yeah, this whole chapter seems very strange to me. It feels out of place. 
Yeah, it feels very out of place. A firefighter fighting oil fighters with a machine gun and grenades throughout the level. It's so much different than a lot of the distant past fighting with a with a saber yeah. gameplay the rest of the game. So, the, the, you know what this chapter reminds me of? It reminds me of Resident Evil. You, yeah. It feels a lot like Resident Evil. Well, And the, the other weird thing about this one is not only is he weapon you know, uh, like gun focused, you have a shit ton of ammunition. Like there's, there's not even a reason to take what, what is his, his, uh, firefighters ax is like his go-to melee weapon that usually, you know, in other circumstances, I would try and shoot somebody until they were down and then finish them off with a melee to conserve bullets. This guy has a ton yeah. of ammunition. Like there's literally no reason to not just shoot everything everywhere. Yeah. So he has, so I I should say he's trying to extinguish this fire. Um, what they decided to do was, was basically kind of blow a hole and make everything kind of extinguish under the sand. So him and a bunch of firefighters set off a bunch of, uh, C4 explosions. Uh, unfortunately they detonate early before him and his guys could get out. All of his guys are killed. Uh, except for him, he falls down into the hole, which, hey, just so happens that's that gigantic temple that, what was his name, uh, Roberto was building back in, like, the 1400s. So um, we play as him going through this temple trying to find a way out. Uh, and he runs across, say, like a Gulf War soldier, and that's where he gets all the, the guns and stuff. He has a... A assault rifle that can be shot fully automatic or burst fire. It's also equipped with a grenade launcher, so we can throw grenades in there. He has a pistol and a fire axe, and he has tons of ammo. I, I like I shot most of the shit throughout this level and never ran out of ammo. I was I was happy again that I was using a walkthrough because I think I would have. It, the game kind of points out the alternate firing modes. It would not have occurred to me that I was supposed to be shooting grenades out of my machine gun without, just, just without the walkthrough grenades. telling me that. Yeah, just throwing grenades. Yeah, I, I would have been trying to throw them and getting pissed. Yeah. So, um, he, uh, as he as he falls into um, the pit, basically, he runs into the ghost of uh, Roberto. And Roberto gives him one of the essences, um, which is kind of like the the third and final one before we get to the one that Pius has. Um, and he, uh, I, for some reason, somebody's telling him to blow up this bridge. Yeah, I, I didn't really get that. I didn't either. I thought he was just trying to get the hell out. Um, but eventually he has to basically find a way. He needs to find explosives, some of that C4 that hasn't been detonated, and then blow up this bridge because some voice is telling him to. I don't know what that voice is. It's never explained. Uh, but in doing so, he he basically blows up the entire temple itself. I guess I just want him to destroy the temple. Um, keep going. 
It's so fitting that this chapter ends like that because it feels like Resident Evil and it ends in the most Resident Evil way possible Yeah. of a countdown clock at the top of your screen Yeah. and you've got three minutes to get out or you die. Like, I feel like that's how about the first four Resident Evil games ended. <laughs> it's true. But uh, yeah, that's... um. It ends, that chapter ends with Michael meeting up with Edward. Uh, this, uh, by the way, Ed, Michael's uh, chapter takes place in 1991, obviously during the Gulf War. Um, but it ends with him meeting up with Edward and delivering, um, one of the essences of the gods along with the Gladius. Do they cover at all how he finds Edward or knows? That that's who would care about this thing that he found? I don't know. Not in the parts that I played. Okay, yeah, because it's just, it's almost like this shady back alley meeting. And at, and at that point, he seems to know, you know, because he says, like, don't open it out here. It needs to be concealed or the gods will find it. You know, he's he's become pretty well versed in what all of this stuff is. And I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure where it comes from. Well, I'm looking at the wiki right now and it says a few years after his return, he meets up with Edward in a city at night. Mike gives doctor, um, the doctor a package, believing that he himself will soon be killed by the guardians, though his ultimate fate is not revealed. Uh, the package contents are unknown as the essence and the enchanted gladius, uh, if the player has acquired it, um, were later sent to Alex in a hastily wrapped and unmarked package dropped inside the mansion's front door, hinting at Michael's possible survival. Also, the fact that his statue in the Hall of the Tome of Eternal Darkness is missing possibly means that his life did not end in the hands of the ancients. Uh, voiced by Greg Eagles. Uh, interesting side note, Greg Eagles guy who plays Edward is the same guy that plays Gray Fox in Metal Gear Solid. Um, after that, we take over as Alex, and now she knows what she must do. She has to trek down to the basement, and that's where I stop playing, so somebody else is going to have to take over from there. So you remember those nine towers that you did and all the rooms you walked through yep and that yeah do all that again oh fuck yeah great and that's basically it uh, yeah it's it's basically that all except most of those rooms don't have enemies in them okay so it's just kind of a lot of running i it's weird. Yeah, some of them, you know, it's it's a bit more. I don't even want to say puzzly. They're not really puzzles, but there's like one you have to like tiptoe across. There's the first one you just have to reveal a hidden bridge. You know, another uh, another Indiana Jones ism. So, what is she trying to do? Isn't the city already destroyed? It's empty. So I think he blew everything up. So it's empty of enemies. Now, so I guess now she's trying to use the towers 
because it's it's basically the most powerful spell in the game, right? It goes three, five, seven, and then this would be the nine point mm-hmm. spell that I, I guess she needs to I think she winds up summoning a god to kill the other god. Yeah, I think you're trying to summon the dominant alignment god, right? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it was the red one, Ch- Chaturga. And I was summoning the blue one because I was fighting Chaturga. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I think that's, that's the goal of this chapter is to summon your dominant alignment god. And then, and then what is it? Basically, while we're fighting Pius Augustus at the end, our two gods are battling it out in space? Kind of, I, I guess. That, so the, the walkthrough, again, helped tremendously. I died. I only died once on the last boss. And it was one of the, I feel like every game that I've done with you guys, there's always one reminder of a vestige of old video games that I'm glad to have died. And in this case, it's the three minute unskippable cutscene that happens every time before the boss fight. So if you die, you just kind of put your controller down and wander away while all of this happens again. Um, but yeah, I think that's what all of that was. So tell me about the boss fight against Pius Augustus. It's not it's not as bad as the Guardian fight. I mean, is it just him and his regular body? Yeah. Yeah, it's much more straightforward. Do, do you can you shoot him or do you have to get close and hit him with like a sword? I, I think you have to use the enchanted gladius. Okay. Yeah, so I you can throw it now apparently. Wait, you can? Right? Yeah, you I'm pretty sure I hit it at his head and just threw it. And it would hit him and then I, his essence would be revealed, and then you have to run up and smack the essence. Oh fuck! Yeah, I I was just running up and hitting him, but yeah, you you hit him, and then he reveals where the I don't know the rune or whatever is, and then you go whack that. So, and then it's kind of cool because you you get the ghosts of a lot of the previous people come back, and you basically a lot of times I think after you hit him, you sort of take over as one of the ghosts and then you go and hit, hit the rune and then you come back as yourself and then hit pious. And that way you get to go through a bunch of the, a uh, bunch of the previous people that we've played as right. Everybody pitches in. So, yeah. So that's where the complaining that I was doing shows up because two of the, I think you do it five or six times. Two of them are the fat slow guys. And so you, you do whatever is Alex that summons the ghost of the person in the past who then needs to hit Pius and then needs to hit the rune. If they get hit at any point in that, it goes back to Alex. She has to hit the rune again to start the process over. And he's got a nice wide swing with that bone staff of his. So trying to bait him into swinging and then running and then coming back and hitting him with the fat guys is a pain in the ass. Yeah, and if you get too far away, he sends one of those little green lightning snakes at me. I guess it was green for me, but, you know, like what the Guardians do, where they send the electricity over the ground. 
Yeah, he he's got just like an up yours lightning spell from across the room. So yeah, I think his is a bit faster than everyone else's too. So I kind of had to bait it and then start running as soon as it started coming at me. Yeah, it's it seems to have longer reach from the point that it goes at. So even if you, I, I needed to get farther away from from where I was standing when he uh, sent it, or I would still get hit. Mm. Which yeah. again harder with the bigger guys. But all in all, it, it was definitely easier than previous Guardian fight. So... Yeah. So, um, I guess going back to that previous fight, do you, do you think each god had different attacks, or was it just a skin change and they all had the same attacks? Because they're very different physically, so I would have imagined that they would be different with their magic attacks, but, um, you know, it, it didn't really have that parsed out in the guide at all. I don't know. What Drew was describing as his attacks sounded exactly like mine, where he summons the three zombies. Yeah, me too. Does he do the thing beforehand where if you get too close, he just starts this slam attack with his claws? Yeah, and the the first phase of that attack was he had these three orbs that would like heat seek into me. Oh uh, yeah. And then if I, and then the the third phase, it was basically his feet just trying to slam me. Yeah, because th- did you guys have the thing too where like the back wall of the room keeps pushing in? Yeah. So you get less room to maneuver with every phase. Yeah. Seems like a missed opportunity. I feel like the gods should behave a bit differently. Well, unfortunately. That's yeah, not the I mean case. they yeah, they physically look very different. That would I, I don't know, like I, I get the whole playthrough it is all of the colors to get the real ending or whatever, but there doesn't really doesn't seem like the experience will change up enough to be worth it. That would that would at least be another notch in that favor. Yeah. So how did the game end exactly? Uh, phase three of that boss fight is just whack this guy with your sword a whole bunch and avoid that lightning attack. Because once again, you can't heal yourself, so. Hopefully you haven't taken too much damage to this point. Yeah, I was able I think I was able to do it a few times. I think the key for that is just do it at level three. It doesn't heal you as much, but you can actually get it done quick enough before he can get a hit on on you. That's kind of the, the so I have a complaint about the spells in that when you get a new power disc, you have to re discover all of your spells just with more power runes yes substitute fuck that yeah that's that's a waste of time i never knew what rune to use and i had to go back look check the the spell itself and i you know there there are all these weird like renok and some bullshit name like that and i just like red and this yeah red (laughs) yeah it's like okay this one's the sideways z and the thing that looks like a guy dragon kicking to the left. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. As, and so then that's, like, you you know, you need 
the seven point spells for like the the dispel magics and things like that when you're doing higher level stuff at the end of the game but like the real use for those things like heal you more or you know cast better shields matt like you said it is all undoable in combat especially because like the seven point spell takes forever to actually cast they wind up being largely meaningless in terms of your experience with the game. Did you- not, not to mention, there's a lot of spells in the game, but there's not really that many... It, it, it's not really dynamic fights. Like You're not trying to figure out on the fly what types of magic you should really do. It's a, I, I felt like every, every fight that I got into was a lot of, all right, put on a shield, and then enchant my weapon, and then go for it. And it, it, I didn't think there was as much sort of on-the-fly on dynamic, you know, trying to understand a fight to figure out the pattern. It was just prepare and then go in and hack away for, for, for a lot of it. Yeah, I, I did a lot of cast a seven-point shield, cast a magic pool for health, and then just run in and swing away at shit with an enchanted weapon. Yeah, the um, what would have probably been cool, but also been a hindrance to this game would have been if they threw multiple different colored enemies at you, um, and you'd have yeah. to kind of switch them up on the fly, kind of thing. Um, yeah, because that's kind of the weird thing is you wind up with all three alignments, but a vast majority of the things you're going to do are just whatever the dominant alignment is to the one that you picked. Yeah. So you don't like I never cast a green anything because I didn't need to it. Those things are, are kind of meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. The only time I casted blue was never I needed magic, but that's stupid. You're going to use magic for magic. You know, It's like wishing for more wishes. You yeah. can't do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's I don't know. It, yeah. That, a lot of that stuff was kind of useless, but I don't know. Um I mean, well, I mean, as far as the ending goes, yay, we stopped the old god. Yeah, whatever your dominant god is, beat up the offending god. And does the dominant god what? Does he just decide? Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to go bye bye. What they, they do something, and then he gets sucked back through to his his home dimension. Uh huh. Yeah. Gets into a terror in the universe and disappears. So, so I wonder if that's what the what the final ending is because it's basically you know you kill pious which is great because you just kind of hit him and he falls down um and then it's like you know alex realizes that the old god that she summoned to save the earth from this other old god could totally just go ahead and fuck the earth up anyways yeah so yeah, yeah, I, I don't know if it if at a certain point, yeah, ex- exactly that there's like some kind of I'm just as bad as the villain. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I thought it was a, I thought it was a nice parallel the way that you're in a boss fight and then your gods are fighting. Yeah, you know, it kind of opens it up. So yeah, I'm, I'm fighting the guy who's been an annoyance the whole game, but. Keep in mind that this whole game has been about bigger things than than me and Pius. I thought that was kind of cool. And yeah, it's a good reminder because otherwise, I think that final boss fight is okay. 
I'm finally fighting the guy that I've been seeing for the last 10 hours. Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's... Does Alex survive, at least? Uh, yeah. Does it show her, like, I don't know, going off and becoming a, a, a you know, a fucking professor of this shit or something or anything like that? I don't know. I went to the bathroom during the credits. It might have done something. Yeah, I don't think it really showed anything in the credits. Gotcha. I'm curious what the true ending is then. I wonder if it's just one extra cutscene. That yeah. that feels Rather, like what it would be. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you know, if even that one part isn't going to be different in the game, then there's really it's not meant for multiple playthroughs in that way. I feel. I wonder if it has something to do with Man- Manta Rock. Uh, I'm looking at here, looking at this uh, the wiki here. So it's described as the keeper of the ancients, and it is implied that Mantrock alone binds all three ancients and traps them outside of reality. Um, however, due to a powerful binding spell cast by Pius, it has been weakened, and its powers over the others have been uh, waning. Uh, Mantrock is a massive being, countless eyes, uh, kind of like Shogoth. Uh, murals of his temple depict it having a more defined but very grotesque shape. Uh, interesting side note, a fifth alignment, colored yellow, was confirmed to be uh, the alignment of another ancient that was not included in the game. In the game, yellow appears on unaligned runes and uh, disintegrating enemies and was responsible for the cursing of Anthony intended for Charlemagne. Okay, see, I was I was actually just going to ask that because, like, when you go to your subscreen for spells, there's five slots across the top. Right. So I had my three, and purple was the one that I missed. But there's like there's very distinctly a fifth slot. Yeah. Yeah. It says here, fan theory surrounding the obscure fifth alignment and Montarok, not Mantarok, Montarok suggests that while Mantarok would have been in a position of superiority to the primary other three, the unused yellow deity would have been in position of inferiority to them, but also, but while also being superior to Mantarok. However, the exclusion of the fifth alignment could be the reason behind Mantarok fulfilling both superior and inferior roles at the same time in the plot. So there you go. I feel like even though we finished this game, there's still like a million things I don't know about the universe and the relationship between the gods and all of the other things around what's happening in this game and world and universe. Hmm. I just feel like there's a lot more to the story than was revealed. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. That's um, yeah, that sequel's for, right? <laughs> yeah. Sam's Redemption. All right. Let's see. The development of the game was revealed in 1999, initially developed for the Nintendo 64, and featuring a special forces commando deep behind enemy lines, among other characters. It was then planned to be a launch title for the GameCube, but had to be delayed as consequences of September 11th attacks. 
as a quarter of the levels were reworked because of a major setting in the Arab world, which Silicon Knights felt the people were not ready for that for that at that time. Kareem was not in the early builds of Eternal Darkness. Our writers Dennis Dyack and Ken McCulloch had originally placed Joseph de, de Morlay, a Knight Templar, in the scenario, though they changed it later. They must have done that pretty quick because it still came out in June of 2002. Yeah. Well, I guess if it was supposed to be a launch title for the GameCube, they had to delay it. Um, and the GameCube launched in 2001, right? Yeah, but if they reworked it based on what happened in September of 2001, I mean, I guess that's nine months. Yeah. So, but that's it. I like I said, I have not completed it, and I still have Alex's chapter to go through. How long was Alex's chapter? You think about forty minutes? It's not as long as uh, Edwards. I mean, you still go through all the same places, but there's not many enemies. It just it feels like a lot of busy work. But yeah, I don't know, 40, 40 minutes or an hour. Yeah, it's a weird way. It doesn't really feel like you're rushing towards the ending. It really slows the end of the game down quite a bit to do that twice in the last three chapters. Right. Wow. Even though, I mean, I guess it is a big thing you're trying to do. Summon a god, I guess it should be a little bit time-consuming. But and it, I, I kind of wonder, hearing that they had to uh, juggle things around, I wonder if that was a casualty of it. Because, like, the game does a pretty good job in general of spacing out your visits to certain areas. And then right at the end, you have these two large things to do in the same area, almost back to back. Yeah. Well, I have nothing else to say. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I unfortunately didn't beat it for the recording, but I do plan on beating it. Like I said, um, if anybody does want proof i will be taking a picture of my screen when i complete the game i will take a picture of the credits rolling but um i um i do plan on beating this finally yeah i mean i enjoyed it uh i feel like it's it's still a bit disjointed for me i think with the same characters same setting same events uh a more compelling story could have been told because I think it's got all the right pieces. Right. Um, but that being said, you know, it's a game that never, ever feels stale for me, really, because it is a new place, new weapons, new activities. And they sort of, I like the way they kind of changed the chapters up a bit. Like, I'm thinking back to the first early chapter where, you know, you got to switch around, you know, the, the gold necklace, and then, you know, you stick on a silver necklace, and then you're opening up different passageways and stuff versus the later chapters where you're where you're you're setting them on your your nine point spells i mean i do feel like there's a quite a bit of variety of stuff to do yeah there's quite a variety of locations so i mean i, I kind of always feels like it's not getting bogged down right but you know i think that is what contributes to it feeling a bit more disjointed i mean i think it would be hard not to but i guess all the different locales, not to mention jumping around in time. I don't know. It 
yeah, it just it wasn't it didn't feel quite as tight as I thought it would have. Dave, how do you feel? Uh, I I think that that I think that that in particular is is another one of those things that for the time that it was made that it would be interesting to have played this when it actually came out and see how narrative wise it stood up against what else was out at that time. Cause yeah, I, I totally agree now that it's, it's kind of all over the place and you just kind of shrug and move on. But I remember like the narrative being one of the, one of the big pulls for it. And, you know, in addition to the sanity effects, so I, th- I think that I think that that cohesion is just kind of a product of its time as well. Mm. Let's see here. One, one other thing: uh, Eternal Darkness received a near universal acclaim upon its release, uh, with aggregated review scores of nine out of ten from both game rankings and Metacritic. Uh, let's see here. Slate is simply put an amazing achievement that shouldn't be overlooked. Games do not come any better than this. The Eternal Darkness, unfortunately, only sold less than half a million copies worldwide. In Japan, the game score uh, sold us <laughs> seventeen thousand copies as of uh-huh. December of thirty first, two thousand six. So there you go. That's it's so funny. I I always think of it as one of the must play classic GameCube games, but. I guess that that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a commercial success. It's the same way when you look at Psychonauts and Beyond Good and Evil. Every yep. single person on the planet would tell you those are amazing games, but not everybody played it. In fact, a lot of the people that tell you those are amazing games, those people didn't play them either. But yeah, I I I played this game when it first came out and you know, because I was a big Nintendo Power person back in the day, uh, like all through high school and um, like even like in my early twenties, I still kind of subscribed to Nintendo Power. It wasn't until after the uh, the 360 had launched that I stopped really paying attention to it. And uh, man, they they played this freaking game up like crazy in Nintendo Power. Like that was like the like if you get anything on Nintendo, get Eternal Darkness kind of thing. And um, yeah, I bought that game. It had to have been at least the week it came out. It had to have been because you know I was I was working at that grocery store making that grocery money, and I bought that game. That and Killer Seven, those were two big games that I that I was dying to play when I first saw them. Killer Seven. Mm-hmm. I know how you feel about Killer Seven. I made you guys play it back in Game Club days. In fact, it was uh, the game, game before this, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean, that's I I enjoyed my time with it. Like I, like I said, I'm not done with it just yet. But it, it, I guess it's a testament to a I want to really beat this game plus. I kind of like it, you know. It's it's okay. The, it's a, definitely a product of its time, you know. Yeah. Uh, combat wasn't refined as as much as it should have been, you know. It was still, I would say, an experimental time for games back then. I mean, you know, 
I don't know. It definitely tried to do something different. Yeah. So. And I would. I mean, this. This and Blood Omen really are, are the two games to me that cement uh, Silicon Knights. Silicon Knights. Yeah. They also did uh, that remake of Metal Gear Solid. So. Which is actually a really good game. <laughs> so. Yeah, they were a pretty good. Uh, they were a pretty good development team back in the day. Um, are they even still around now? Or are they disbanded? I gotta know. I thought yeah, too I'm looking it up. Let's see here. Uh, no, they went defunct in 2014. Unfortunately. Um, the last game that they released was X-Men Destiny. In 2011. Uh, let's see here. As a result, November 7th, 2012, Silicon Knights was directed to court to destroy all game code derived under Unreal Engine 3. All information, because they had a lawsuit against Epic Games. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, all information for from licensees, restricted areas of Epic's Unreal Engine documentation website, and to permit Epic Games access to company servers and other devices to ensure uh, these items have been removed in addition. They were instructed to recall and destroy all unsold retail copies of games built with Unreal 3 code, including Two Human, X-Men Destiny, The Sandman, The Box, and Siren in the Maelstorm. All three later titles were projects that were never released or even officially announced. And uh, May of 2016... Uh, May 16th of 2014, following a loss on the court case, Silicon Knights was sued until it filed for bankruptcy. Uh, yep, that's it. They are no longer more. But Dennis Dyack went on to do something else. I thought so. Yeah. Uh, didn't he do... For some reason, I'm thinking he had something to do with Pillars of Eternity? No, excuse me. Shadow of the Eternals, which was a Kickstarter um, campaign in uh, 2013. It was supposed to be a big uh, RPG. Um, let's see here. Dyak was asked to respond to the article by Precursor CEO Kotaku, noted in the known official response video that no such claims were made. Apparently there were allegations of... Uh, mistreating employees and and embezzlement. (laughs) Okay. And apparently he is changing his IP into movies and television rather than video games. So there you go. So I guess we're not going to get a sequel to Eternal Darkness. (laughs) Nope, Sanity's Redemption's good. Yep. But yeah, that's uh, that'll be it for us. We're going to end it here. I do appreciate everybody listening. And uh, thanks for sticking with us for the uh, Halloween series. You know, things came up. We had to stop recording, stuff like that. But it's not that big of a deal. Uh, but get excited because me and John Whitehouse 
are going to be going through the original Mass Effect starting next week. Um, How long is that game? Uh, I don't think it's that long, to be honest with you. Uh, let me take a look here. Because how long to beat is my friend. How long did you guys take for this game? Uh, I'm sitting at around probably 10 hours right now. I think my last save was somewhere around 12 and a half. Yeah, I think mine says it's around 12, but I, I had to have at least three hours of reloading saves. Well, yeah, that, I mean, some of that happened with me too. Uh, let's see, oh, Mass Effect, according to how long to beat, the main story takes about 17 hours. Yeah, that that is the, uh, well, the what you learn in the first half of this game. And what I did a lot in the second half was save, like, basically every room where there was not enemies. Yep. Yeah, I saved way more in the second half because oh, of yeah. all the, some of the struggles in the first half. Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Uh, I think me and John could probably beat this in probably three, maybe four episodes. Shouldn't be too hard. So, yeah. We're going to be doing Mass Effect. Um, and if I'll be so bold, <laughs> next year I'm probably going to bring John back to do Mass Effect 2 and 3 if he wants to. Oh, because, nice. Because we can't just do Mass Effect 1 and then not do 2 and 3, right? I mean, come on. Not when Andromeda's at the end of the year. Exactly. Didn't they just hit backwards compatible too? They did. They just released on backwards compatible on Xbox One. And the cool thing is, is if you have EA Access, you have all three of those games for free. So there you go. I'm kind of nervous about playing Mass Effect 1 again. Yeah, that's a little rough. That game, Witcher 1. Yeah, yeah. That's like Witcher 1 rough. Where... Like, I, the one thing I do remember, fuck the Mako. Mako sucks. Um, and I remember just being killed real easily and losing a shit ton of progress. And then there's so many fucking glitches. Like, I remember when you were on a planet and you'd find, like, a mineral or something, when you wanted to discover it, a little thing, like, when you discovered it, a marker would come up off uh, the ground to show that you discovered this. But your character would be on top of the marker and you'd be stuck there. You couldn't move. And so I had to reload my last save. Like, it happened tons of times to the point where I wasn't, I wasn't going to discover anything else because I didn't want to get stuck. So maybe they fixed some of that on the PS3 version when they re-released it? Because I'm playing the PS3 version. I got the trilogy on PS3. Um, you know, it came out like, like three years after Mass Effect 1 had released on 360. So maybe they reworked some of that stuff. I'm not certain. But we'll find out. But I'm going to get out of here. If you'd like to follow us all on Twitter, I am at DML Fury. Matt is at REMGS. And Dave is at BoxDP. The podcast itself is at ZTGD Phoenix Down. Post all the episodes there. You can definitely check that out. Um, and you can also email us. Um, email us about Eternal Darkness, what your thoughts are on it, or uh, Mass Effect. You guys want to play along with us? Feel free. Tell us what choices you're going to make. I will go ahead and tell you right now. 
I have played all my Mass Effect games as a Paragon, and by God, I'm going to be a fucking renegade in the next one. So this playthrough, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to slap that reporter three times, and she's going to remember every time I hit her. And, you know, she's going to bring it up in all three games. Um, so, yeah. We're going to go with that. But uh, that's it for us. I do appreciate everybody listening. Uh, this has been our ending of our Halloween episode. We're moving on to Mass Effect. And then after that, we're going to do Danganronpa 2. So I'm really excited for that one. But uh, that's it. I appreciate everybody listening. Until next time, I'm Drew. And I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we're out of here. You guys have a great week. And we will be back next week with your choice, Mass Effect.